0: is that can you get with that vibe that's a new intro jesse peters yell season seven welcome friends faith in a fresh vibe podcast i am your host ro Hattie, coming at you from treaty seven lands in calgary alberta canada new season summer season I'm glad that you are here. You're gonna love what's coming up. In this episode, I intro my book and I have my friend come through to interview me, so it's not just me talking. Gina Thomas, thank you so much for being who you are and for interviewing. This season, well, we have authors, we have pastors, we have thinkers, we have dreamers, we have all of that jazz. Johnny Rashid, pastor, author now too. Jesus takes aside from the same press as when we belong. My book. Mandy K. Park comes through y'all with well a conversation about grief and trauma. Miss Marie from the Eastern Seaboard, who is now an associate minister, we talk about black deconstruction. Well, she doesn't call it that, but stay tuned for that episode. Miss Sharifa Stevens, y'all coming at you. We have a delightful conversation off the prophetic voice. Trey Ferguson, that's Pastor Trey to y'all. And then my friend Marla Taviano. She has authored a number of books, and we're going to talk about farts and wholehearted faith. <laughs> And last but not least, Gina Thomas comes through. We'll share her story, her book as well. But in this episode, we kick things off with Gina taking over the show. So, that's Season 7. Stay tuned, download it, rate it, visit me online, find me wherever your podcasts are sold. And on social media, at Rohati or at Rohati.Nagasar.com. We talk about my latest book that came out in the middle of June, When We Belong, in this episode. It's a little bit of a get-to-know-me, so if you've been dying to know the inside scoop of how the book came together, and a little bit about me, well, that's what this episode is about. Then, after this short episode, we launch into the normal rhythm of about an hour-long episodes with each one of my guests. So I'm very fortunate that they would all come through. I will show you and give you the show notes of where you can find each of these voices. I try to bring in voices you've never heard and some that you have to offer up the possibilities that our faith matters and not only matters but makes sense in a modern world. So Faith in the Fresh Vibe, I welcome you. Let's get to listening.
1: Faith and Fresh Vibe with me, your host, Rohani. Nope. My name is Gina, and I'm going to ask him some questions because he just wrote a book <laughs> that's coming out, hopefully around the same time. this This version of the podcast is coming out, and I wanted to ask him a couple of questions because I sincerely feel like this book, which is called When We Belong, sincerely this book is um a beautiful version of what christianity can be and i do hope that everyone will read it millions yeah and especially those who are listening to this podcast right
0: not millions but (laughs) but yeah
1: Um, And and I just, I wanted to share first off, before we jump into some of my questions, just that this was a book that I had the honor of endorsing, and um, my endorsement is this, from deconstruction to atonement theory to institutionalization, Rohati pastorally and prophetically leads the reader through the systemic and systematic barriers of holistic belonging which he knows intimately. With sights set on a reverberating ancient yet present hope, he shows us that true belonging can only come from inclusive belonging, where Christ-permeated radical mutuality of LGBTQIA, Mm. BIPOC, disabled, and women can offer the prophetic imagination the church so glaringly needs today. I'm deeply grateful for this book and hopeful for for the church that listens. And, um, Rohani, I just want to ask you a couple of questions um, before getting into some quotes that I pulled from the book. But I wanted to find out, as, as a fellow writer, I feel like every book that we write is different. And, you know, the um, analogy is often giving birth. And I think there's so much that happens in the gestation period of writing a book. Um, and I wanted to find out from you. Kind of what was distinct during this period for you, and why did it feel important to give to breathe life into this book?
0: Mm. Oh, that's a good question. First off, Gina, thanks so much for inviting me on my podcast. Um, secondly. Uh, That was a wonderful summary. You're the only one who pulled out the atonement pieces, which I thought was so crucial to make sense of a Christian faith that we need to use the word answer loosely, but we need an explanation as to why 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 yeah. the cross? We just came through Easter. Yeah. Why not all the blood nope. and gore and the satiating of rage? And so thank you for a summary that yeah. is a better <laughs> reflection than any summary. I can write about my own book. Um, that is really <laughs> good. Thanks. Uh, that's such a good question. And yeah, you know it and writers know it. Any creator knows it of the iterations that you're Uh, project goes through. Mm -hmm. And now you're knowing it a little bit more of a book that shifts and shifts and shifts. It just wasn't the single thing that you, oh, I have a wicked idea. And it didn't just get crushed, you know, it just got crushed. (laughs) And uh, this book did not get crushed, but it went through so many iterations, Mm -hmm. so many iterations. And some of them, well, all of them were good because they create a, a better book and mm-hmm. and one that's for more people mm-hmm. um
1: yeah yeah it,
0: this original idea oh i so i'm uh, <laughs> this won't make sense because uh we're on radio it's radio rohati but this is a notebook i'm holding up and uh on it it says remarkable on it and it's mm. an old notebook i probably don't have a date in it um But I'm now using it for something else. But I used to have a different notebook for each different book project. And this was Mm. for an idea I had, which was called Remarkable on the Fringe. I already had the title, right? Mm. And it was about Mm. a time in my life that I was going through huge upheaval. And I was struck by different people, but it was probably more about my own self, of course, but these people mm-hmm. who were defying the odds. And I wanted to write a story mm-hmm. about these people who were remarkable, yet everyone else, and especially the Church, would mm-hmm. call them to less. Little did I know that's probably, wow. as I alluded to, a story about myself. So why did I write this book is, as I was writing it, I realized this is this is for me and I'm writing to people mm. like me as well. Originally, mm-hmm. it wasn't like that. Originally, I had written a book. So, in in When We Belong, I talk about the different ways to belong. So, I have the different doors. I was processing that metaphor of option one, option two, you know, stay in your church, go find another one, leave entirely, stick in ethnic churches. That's what it typically looks like, broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. And... That was what the book was around, centered around. It was actually a way to write, because I've come out of the church planting world and the missional church and all, like, that was kind of my expertise for for years. I stuck with that, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm going to write a a book about belonging in the church for leaders to apply Mm -hmm. and to help Mm -hmm. answer questions of why churches are bleeding. So that was... 20 mm. I don't even know 17 18 after thrive was done Wow. so 2018 wow but little did i know it the when we belong was going to become closer to this vague idea i had about remarkable on the fringe and and never clued in until i was done when we belong mm. that the ideas of being of these remarkable people defying the odds and searching for belonging that was basically the book And so I wrote it for people Mm -hmm. like me who have, and in Canada, which would be different than a lot of metro places in the U.S., there's not a lot of multi-ethnic options. There's probably, Mm -hmm. I would say there is none in the city I'm in, but that's not true. There might be a couple, but truly multi-ethnic, right? Not just Mm -hmm. in name only Mm -hmm. or in congregation only, in leadership, in denomination, in history, and so forth. Now, of course, I've never fit in anywhere I go. And so what were the possibilities and to expand it beyond just multi-ethnic folks, to expand it to anyone who has been pushed to the margins because of the, their body or because of something they believed. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was a mm-hmm. new iteration at the start of the book. Maybe it was marketing related to think of how, how can I expand this and so more people would resonate Right. And then the language around deconstruction came in way late as well. Hmm. It was not in the first drafts. Um, I added deconstruction because it's hot now, but it also gives Mm -hmm. language to what so many people are doing when you question and realize that the things you believe in no longer apply. Yeah. What do you have left? Well, you need a process. and, And too many folks I know are leaving it all behind. And I want to cry out and be like, you don't have to do that. Like, there's so much Christianity outside of this North American, white-centered, European-centered ideas of who Jesus is. Is there a possibility there are better ways beyond that? And so that's what the book explores, and there are, and It's it's hard work. Like it's that yeah. mutual mutuality that you have spoken to about where does deeper relationship lie that's not easy, yeah, that's not easy, but I think that that's where the answers are in terms of growing a deeper community and in faith.
1: How would you say that you're you're mentioning you know being in church planting and and missional church and how does all of that lead you to? These ideas of belonging and, and and writing this book, how did that all influence where you landed on with this?
0: I probably can't pinpoint exactly how that influenced because it was just another thing that I realized, and I wrote about this in the book, that oh, if we just solved the problem of mission, that somehow belonging would be solved in churches. Right. But it doesn't address the deeper issues of power. Just like, mm-hmm. like you mentioned on our podcast, power and specifically power around white supremacy mm-hmm. uh, and patriarchy. Yeah, missional church doesn't like all the hot emergent church, whatever. Doesn't answer those questions. It's still a white male led movement. Mm -hmm. So, it does not have the competency and capacity to think otherwise. And the same thing with church planting. I wouldn't use that term anymore. And we don't need the the wealthiest, and it's the wealthiest churches, which are the whitest churches, have the most money to go and do church planting, which in a lot of respects, and many are trying to think of new ways, which is good, is an exercise in colonization. So, the reason why so many other leaders uh, and traditions don't church plant, it's because we're not very good colonizers. That's just not in our DNA. That's why the black church isn't going, well, I can't speak for the black church, but I, for different traditions, the proximity to whiteness often dictates, and wealth, which mm-hmm. is the same in many respects, often mm-hmm. dictates how well you are at colonizing people. So. Right. I feel like how I could never get a leg up again in this world because it's white male dominated. And like I had expertise there, but it doesn't matter. It forced me to look deeper. And I realized I'm not talking to leaders or pastors or church planners. This is a book for folks searching for meaning and ultimately wholeness and belonging there's a pathway to that liberation, mm-hmm. and I want to at least illuminate pieces of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was the 10 years of not getting anywhere mm-hmm. and realizing, oh, there's some deeper answers as to why. Let's look into that. Yeah. So, decolonizing your faith will set you down that road.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you, you talk about how you're dismayed. Right by how many churches... (laughs) But I'm often dismayed
0: at many things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What does that make me, an Enneagram dismayed? I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're not alone by that for sure. Um, You say this, I am, however, dismayed by how many churches define themselves by the barriers they preserve over the freedom they should announce. It's not a freedom tainted by the aspirations of Western individualism. Rather, it is a promised dream where we can live out our whole and authentic selves. Yet true belonging in churches seems out of reach even for the insiders. Beliefs, ideas, opinions are called into question as they become obstacles preventing full belonging and human flourishment. And those barriers you have those barriers you have experienced quite a bit yourself.
0: I was just thinking today that I don't get invited to a lot of things because for, there's often been like people know that I'll call out. Uh, uh, there's a prophetic voice that yeah. I will use. And which is why, like, for a lot of speaking gigs, and Canada's small compared to the US, like, everyone kind of knows everyone, but most of my gigs of this world come from the Catholics the Catholics are always inviting me to things because they don't know me. Hmm. They only know the work, and which is hmm. odd <laughs> in many respects. So anyways, that's, yeah, you know, I'm being, <laughs> when you were sharing just earlier about um, something about uh, uh, the maleness of things, oh, what was it? more male, more more, male. Uh, more white. It, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, oh, the male part, I was like, you know, oh, like, you know, I, I, I can punch my wall in rage. And, right. and then you said something connected to violence. I was like uh, joking around. Oh, I could be more male and hit things. And it's like, yeah, but the, the formation around violence and stuff like that. So where am I going? Uh, patriarchy benefits me. So, I actually don't feel mm. because I'm so far away from denominations, mm. don't feel the ire of anything. Mm. And as a man, I don't face a lot of the prejudice in churches. I will never belong in denominations. I might consult with them. Who knows where life will take me. Mm-hmm. But because my gifts are to lead to be. CEO or president or lead or whatever, I'll never be permitted space in, in those places. And I've come to terms with that mm-hmm. usually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like the belonging pieces is, is, I really don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care what they are mm-hmm. selling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll call it out, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I, I, benefit on one hand though, from the patriarchy side and, I don't know what it means to just like not have opportunity because of my gender. Yeah, I, in many respects, that's a bigger obstacle, depending on your space. And yeah, I've come to terms with the white supremacy side. It's just never going to help me here.
1: Well, one one of the things that I found so interesting about your book is that your prophetic voice. I mean, I I feel like. I've known that voice from social media, right? And like how we connect. um,
0: Pithy Instagram and Twitter quotes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that, that prophetic voice is there. And I think what's fascinating to me about your book is that your pastoral voice comes out too. And typically those two things aren't in the same person. And... Hmm. Um, and I, I found it just beautifully balanced in the sense of calling out what needs to be called out and being pastoral in ways that I think most prophetic voices are not.
0: Thanks. I appreciate it. I've never heard that before. I've never won an award for being a good pastor. Um, I don't think I ever will. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't do it full time. I never have either. Yeah. So I definitely wear different kind of pastoral pants. Yeah. Um, than average, but but it's but I know what it means to call things out, and that's easy. Yeah. It's harder to call into better, and I suck at that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I'm not good at that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm learning, and and I do feel, however, when others are being pressed against their ability or cap- capability of living out their f- the fullness of who God has made them to be yeah. when they're being pressed down subjugated by institutions or powers that shouldn't be doing that should know better yeah i'll have something to say yeah. and luckily and for the quote that you shared luckily there's a better way Right. That you don't have to give up pieces of yourself just for a taste of belonging. Yep. That there are options up beyond that where you y- you don't have to just put up with it a little longer. Right. That better is out there. And even those who don't really think, and so the people who are on the inside... There are forces and powers that are preventing you from living out the fullness of even if you think you belong. Right. Like in that Trump church. Right. Like you mean to tell me that you the deeper level of your humanity is not revealed as you learn to empathize with the marginalized? Right. Or is it actually pulling against or or withholding aspects of your humanity Mm. by forcing you to look at the other. With yeah. disdain. Yeah, like, come on, give me a break.
1: Yeah, that's that's so good and so um, personally, I have I have been involved in different spaces where, and I think most people have, where hmm. you end up getting kicked out for one reason or another, right? And it's kind <laughs> of like belonging always seems to come at a cost, and that cost typically is what you're saying, our authentic selves, and I think that. Your book speaks to this. Maybe it's not necessarily new, but it's it feels different. This different way of understanding what belonging can be, because we've had it in this box for so long, and you're like, wait, we could we don't have to be in this box. We can
0: yeah open yeah. it up
1: more. Um, yeah, and I think uh i just i really appreciate i'm going to be giving it to a lot of my friends um because Yay. the the sense that belonging can actually happen without costing our authentic selves feels mm. almost impossible but when i read your book I'm like mm. no this really is possible and mm. so what you were saying about you know not always necessarily having the pastoral frame of, of being better, I, I do think that your book really shows a path forward in a way that I haven't mm-hmm. seen um, and I'm grateful for, so.
0: Thank you so much for your words. I really appreciate that. It really resonates and affirms me, especially as someone who's not connected into any place or space or, or denomination, uh, to, to hear that. Um, because that's what I set out to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like it's like I wrote this book for that reason. Yeah. And like yay and it, and it's so important and valuable to me to hear like yes and I know other people like I they need to read this too. That's why that's why I wrote this book because I think it is I'd be careful. I don't necessarily think what I'm saying is new. I appeal to different traditions. But there's a reality of, I don't think out there right now uh, the Christian faith in a Western context has been laid out with this type of language of the possibilities. That's what is different. So 20 years of me not working with a denomination, like it produces some different thinking. Right. And so hopefully I offered pieces of that. but it also uh, like reclaims at the same time—it's hey, a subtitle—it mm-hmm. reclaims these pieces that say, okay, we we could throw everything away, right. but we can hang on to these core aspects in a renewed or reclaimed way. Yeah. And that's why I pull in atonement. Yeah. That's why I, I pull in Bible. Like I pull in these things, yeah. and we can think through them in different ways. Yeah. And not only is it okay, but it grants life along this path where Jesus is yes. who is by the way on the margins too. Yes. So, I
1: ah, love it. Thanks for your words. So good. Yeah, so good. Um okay. <laughs> I wanted to um to to point out this idea of terms and conditions because I found it so
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> interesting.
1: I know earlier you said that you didn't really set out to write about whiteness, but it kind of happens, which, you know, hopefully there will be a day where they won't have to happen. Right. Um, but hmm. you, you, say hmm. whiteness is like the terms and conditions we never read yet must approve for social participation. Click accept and figure it out as you go. Even if we read the terms, hmm. we can't object. Found that to be, I, I might've tweeted, messaged you about that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> i sent you several. Yeah, you did.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, you did. You did. Yeah. But yeah. that
1: just really yeah. stuck out to me. And I think, um, was a good i I think about whiteness a lot, but there are definitely ways in which I need to think more deeply about the default that is white culture um and I think this really sums it up in you know two sentences in a way that uh is is palpable and then I just wanted to to go down to uh how later on you re um you come back to this term when you were talking about your great grandma and you say that yeah, she never oh, yeah. accepted the full terms and conditions having <laughs> never learned how to speak english despite 80 years in the country i can't imagine that it was easy for her but i consider it a form of resistance that she employed and i just yeah just would love to hear more of your thoughts on that and i just loved how you gave this example of what it is or, or, or gave this idea yeah. and then gave us the example of the, the embodied idea.
0: Oh, yeah. And I'm trying to think where I feel like I heard the terms and conditions, but the metaphor really worked um, for the book and to call it back, which I think was a late addition to think of, wait a minute, like I can never have a conversation with great-grandma, mm. had no concept what she was saying, she was always thrilled to see me, mm. um, was was deaf by the time I came around, mm. um, but always would toast seaweed over the oven mm. or the stove, uh, and was usually watching F1 car racing. Mm. Um, I wish I could have asked her what it meant to not learn a lick of English. Mm-hmm. Um, she probably understood most of it, but never spoke back. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that was her exercise in resistance, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, of, of the story. And I, I allude to it, especially in the story with my grandpa, Um who passed away just before the manuscript was done. Mm-hmm. And I tried intentionally to get more of his thoughts, stories, picture of his time in internment. Mm-hmm. So I was never able to get an answer from Grandpa. Mm-hmm. In fact, he he responded pretty terse mm-hmm. in a terse way to me of, don't ask that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was odd for me to try to talk to Grandpa about anything Mm. right that's just like the the jap i don't know if it's a japanese thing but and for great grandma never could never communicate with her but i don't know if it was resistance part of me believes that it must have been Mm. how else and why else um and it was her part of her character Mm. and then part of her character embedded into me So that's a lingering question mm. as to in what manner that has applied or in what manner it was yeah. but it's but it's a story woven through trauma mm. and unknowns and mm-hmm. and questions that may never have answers I will never get answers mm. to
1: yeah thank you for sharing that I I found So much of the story about your family, just really beautiful, and I know that's not easy to share. So,
0: yeah, and we were talking beforehand. How it's like, I don't know who I've shared any of these things with, and now everyone gets to read (laughs) them for the low price of seventeen (laughs) ninety-nine. It's like kind of wild. Like I don't know know how I feel about that yet because I haven't thought about its ramifications. But like, yeah, it's and so many stories are filled with that trauma yeah. and, and and but thanks for asking. Yeah. yeah. It's in the midst there's these possibilities and glimpses of beauty. Yeah,
1: yeah and just that concept of um, you know that rejection of assimilation that opened the way and opens the way for true belonging I think is
0: it's there like yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Like that's the possibility. Right. Because I, I wonder, it skipped from great-grandma. It was just, oh, why don't you ever learn yep. English? And it may have skipped generations. Yep. Like, and I'm still learning my own story and the f- stories of my family. Like, I have a lot to do with trying to pull into ethnicity, especially into India. Yeah. But like, it has skipped. Mm. My grandpa, what it means to assimilate, what it means for me to assimilate. Yeah. My, my mom... Yep. and then to me to now be like, wait a minute let's reclaim these yes. pieces like what where's the resistance Where, where's and yeah I mean don't wait too long because some of those answers I'll never find yeah but it's still a good journey I guess. yeah and <laughs> it's
1: interesting how the how that familial journey kind of parallels your spiritual journey like there's um, there's beauty in that
0: i didn't do that on purpose that's uh i'll have to think about (laughs) that (laughs) yeah
1: it's good (laughs) love it okay so one more question then i'll leave you alone um this was a a quote about deconstruction um you say without creating an absolute i offer the starting definition in the bid toward reclamation Mm. deconstruction is a pathway that leads to liberation from all that seeks to make us less whole. And I love that perception of what deconstruction can be because what I think that you're doing here, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, it seems like there's these like two big camps of what deconstruction is. One is um, deconstruction is everything I need it to be, and it's gonna lead me completely away from Christ which for some people, mm. like I don't, I don't necessarily want to make judgment on what needs to happen in some people's lives. On the other side, it's, um, you know, some of the voices from my own Christianity and past uh, a saying deconstruction is this awful evil thing that leads people mm. fully away from Christ. And I think here you're offering uh, this like different path that I don't hear a lot of people offering, even though I I feel a lot of need for it. But I don't hear a lot of people offering this. I don't know if that's fair to say in your own thoughts.
0: I think the connection of asking questions and pulling away from things that seek to make you less whole, adding language to that so you can name it, that has not been done as much. There are, of course, traditions beyond me, um, black church tradition in America, um, now emerging indigenous traditions, and many orthodox traditions that have always had a place of resistance and a posture against these powers, yeah. powers again, yeah. pressing against yeah. us. Um, I, yeah, I tried to pull the language in to make sense where where folks are at. Um and we don't need to use the term deconstruction. It, it, the, scope, the 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 linear scope that you gave us there it, is just that. It's a linear yeah. you know, portrayal. Right. It's not really like that. It's more like 4D checks right. or whatever. <laughs> it, it, so there are, I think, BIPOC writers and leaders who are certainly asking, which is part of my... my uh, questioning of a lot of deconstruction thought leaders right now. It's like, man, you got to deal with your white supremacy before you can be pointing to the possibilities of of wholeness. But that's where it all boils down to. We don't need deconstruction itself, the language, to describe, hey, the problem here is I have been reduced from living out the fullness of my humanity, and so how can I... Relocate a better way, right. and and build right. slowly. It it's that it's that re- reciprocity in relationship, that depth. Like, give me more of that, and I don't care if it's size and scope. But mm-hmm. if if we can capture that within any community, not even just we don't have to call it church. But if we can capture that love for one another, huh, yeah. Like, what else? What else do we need? Yeah. So the language I don't think is important if you want to use the deconstruction language, I do obviously, but um, the the people who fear it are not being honest to the, the ways that they've been made less whole and they're not being honest to the stories of those who have the bravery to ask the questions and find the deeper possibilities. So those are good questions.
1: And I think maybe not even being honest for themselves about their own deconstruction that they did to get to where they are, because I think in some hmm. form or another, hmm. faith requires us to deconstruct. <laughs>
0: like Full circle, though, it's power, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely like right. Like you
0: don't touch or deconstruct because you don't want to, A, lose the power or poke the power.
1: That's good. Yeah.
0: That's sad. Yeah, that's good. Poke the that's, power. Is that better than power pie? (laughs) Let me write that down, poke the power.
1: I think it just needs to be a shirt of all of these phrases, just like five (laughs) phrases in a row about power. All with peace, power pie, poke the power. Well, thank you very much for sharing a little bit more about your heart in this book. And I'm just, again, I'm so grateful for those of us who get to read it and learn from you in your pastoral and prophetic voice. I'm very grateful.
0: Thanks, Gina. I really appreciate the time you put in to reflect both in the endorsement that you gave, but also to, to just uh, the brain power that it would take to formulate just a couple of questions around this. I have deep gratitude for that. So, thank you. I appreciate you.